You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast, from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, SpyCast brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about SpyCast, or if you want to suggest someone who might be a good future guest, email us at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Also, if you like what you hear, and even if you don't, please take a minute to review us on iTunes or whatever platform you might be listening. We're always looking for ways to make SpyCast better, and you can help. My name is Chris Costa. I am the executive director of the International Spy Museum. Thank you for joining me today for this conversation, and welcome back to the International Spy Museum. I'm here with the executive director of Hostage US, Rachel Briggs, and one of my former colleagues at the National Security Council, Josh Geltzer. Hey guys, how are you? Good, thanks hey. for having us here. It's great to have you. So in 2004, after the kidnapping of one of her own family members, Rachel started and led Hostage UK, a charity focused on providing support to families coping with the kidnapping of a family member. As a result of this work, she was awarded an Office of the British Empire by Her Majesty the Queen in 2014. Then in 2015, Rachel moved to the United States and started Hostage US, which focuses on providing the same type of support services for families that have experienced the kidnapping of a loved one. And Josh is presently the executive director and a visiting professor at Georgetown University Law Center's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. Josh previously served as the senior director for counterterrorism at the National Security Council from 2015 to 2017. Prior to that, Josh was the deputy legal advisor to the National Security Council. Josh attended Yale Law School and received a PhD in War Studies from King's College London. He received his undergraduate degree from Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Again, thank you guys both for, for coming by today to have a conversation today. In the spirit of full disclosure, I should mention that I've been invited to join the Hostage U.S. Advisory Council. Thank you very much for that, Rachel and Josh. I first met Rachel when I served at the National Security Council as the convening authority for the NSC's hostage response group. So let me start off first with Josh, and we'll talk a little bit about policy, because I think that sets conditions for talking in greater detail about hostage 
U.S. Josh, you were at the NSC during the development of the White House policy, Policy Presidential Directive 30, hostages taken abroad and personal recovery, personnel recovery efforts. It might be good for our listeners to hear the background for that policy development. And there's no one better than you to really talk through that and provide the context so we can understand the extent of the hostage taking problem globally. So let's talk about the development of the policy. Thanks, Chris, and thank you again for the opportunity to be here and for all the friendship you've shown me since we've uh, got to work together at the White House on these and, and other issues. The origins of that policy are really in the terrible summer into fall of 2014. Many listeners may remember that American hostages, as well as other foreign hostages, were getting brutally killed, beheaded by ISIS with videos uploaded and shared around the world uh, via YouTube and other social media. And those of us who were in government and working on those issues realized something that the president later stated explicitly. The U.S. government simply had to do better. It had to do better in terms of handling these tough, tough cases, and it had to do better in serving the families who were going through such horrific experiences and also had to do better at serving the hostages who ultimately were able to come home from, from hostage takings and who needed all sorts of things to help them adapt to the life ahead. So PPD-30 came out of that. It attempted to restructure the government in a way that could better serve families and better handle these cases. It ensured that information would flow more readily, more freely to families, and Overall, it tried to reorient the government so that families would feel and, in fact, would be true partners in the recovery of their loved ones. That's a great articulation of the policy, and I think it's also important to say that there's a staying continuity between administrations. It went from the Obama administration to the Trump administration, and uh, the professionals in, at the NSC continue to work diligently on hostage issues. That's exactly how I see it, and frankly, I find that incredibly gratifying to know that, that this important issue set and some of the progress that was made on it went into your capable hands and, and the hands of others, and overall is a project in which civil servants, foreign service officers, intelligence professionals are working to try to serve families and ultimately to bring home Americans held hostage abroad. That has shown a certain continuity across administrations as, as well it should. So barring some, some of the language from the policy itself, the 21st century has witnessed a significant shift in hostage taking by terrorist organizations abroad. Increasingly, hostage takers target private citizens, including journalists and aid workers, as well as government officials. As such, the United States government's response to hostage-taking must evolve with this ever-changing landscape. So you would agree that that is the backdrop for the policy, that kind of broad statement? That's absolutely the backdrop. And as these hostage-takings were occurring in essentially denied areas so far as the U.S. government was concerned, a place like Syria in the midst of the, the horrific civil war and violence occurring there, there was a sense that policy needed to follow. Circumstances around the world were changing Hostage takings were occurring amidst those evolving circumstances, and so U.S. government policy needed to evolve as well. But clearly, and this is a great segue into the discussion we're going to have with Rachel, the government is not the only answer to this problem. 
The government can't do it alone. That's where Hostage U.S., I think, comes into play. So, Rachel, can you tell us a bit more about your career, your motivation, your story, that personal narrative, and why you started Hostage U.S.? Absolutely, and thank you for having us here today. And, you know, part of the segue from the first part of the conversation to, to what I'll say is, is that actually, of course, hostage families themselves were the key drivers for that policy change. Um, right. They were modeling the kind of partnership that they need to have during cases as well. It was pressure from um, families such as uh, Jim Foley's and, and others um, that, that really brought government to, to the table. And so I think it's a perfect demonstration, actually, of why exactly why government doesn't always have the answers and, and shouldn't be the only um, occupy the only seat around the table. Um, I, I guess my, as you've alluded to, my connection to this issue has been very, very long st standing. If you rewind back to 1996, I was a fresh-faced um, first-year graduate, uh, yeah, first-year student at Cambridge University, slightly fewer wrinkles than I have today, and um, I, I got the phone call. I got the tap on the shoulder, you know, call home. Something is is terribly wrong, and um, got the dreadful news that no family member wants, which is that uh, my dear uncle was um, had been kidnapped in Colombia while he was on a work assignment there, and um, we lived as a family through seven and a half months of never knowing if he was alive or dead, um, the highs and lows of, of hostage cases, the, the, the absolute agony of months and months of silence. It's the silence which is so unbearable. When things start happening, right. you have something to focus on. And so um, I left that experience changed forever, for sure, and with an understanding that as a family going through this, you feel very frightened, very scared, you feel very lonely, um, you are immediately told not to talk to anyone about what's happening, so your pre-existing support structures literally disintegrate, uh, you can't draw upon them, um, you've never been through this before, God willing, you will never go through it again, so you have no idea what's going to happen next, you have no idea whether what is being told to you is is good advice or bad advice um you have no idea whether you could be asking for more or whether in asking for more you will be irritating the government officials that you're dealing with who frankly stand behind stand between your loved one and their life um so i i, I came out of that experience um luckily with my uncle alive and well um but with this um this tremendous sense of, of what it's like to be the victim of crime and to have that enormous sense of helplessness. And, you know, I, I didn't come out of that. It would be a, a really nice, neat story if I say I immediately started forming... I knew, I knew there was a need for this organisation. It, it wasn't quite as neat as that. Um, but a number of years afterwards, I ended up meeting Terry Waite, who, of course, himself had been through five years of captivity four and a half which have were in solitary confinement difficult to imagine how anyone survives that and, and that was he, in lebanon right Rachel? that was in beirut yeah. in the late 80s right. and early 90s and um held latterly uh, of course by with people such as terry anderson and, and other americans and um it was it was this was his brainchild you know he had been released from captivity and understood his own needs for support and because he was a hostage who had a profile before he was taken and certainly had a profile after he was released, um, 
hostage families just started contacting him. And this is before email, this is before the internet. They found him. I mean, the extraordinary ability of hostage families to tenaciously seek out the support they need is, is quite extraordinary. And so he, he recognised both from his own perspective as a former hostage, from the need that was being expressed to him by the families that came to him, that there was an organisation needed to exist. It couldn't just be him doing whatever he could. And so he and I and a number of others who had similar experiences started on this journey to create something and really we didn't know what that something was but we just started and as you said in 2004 we launched in the UK um, Hostage UK still going strong um, doing extraordinary work and um, it was you know what is my journey here I mean my, my journey here was um, in the absence of a Hostage US American families came to Hostage UK again the tenacious right. spirit to find support. So they found hostage UK, rather. They found us. Wow. And um, there are not so many language barriers between the British <laughs> and the Americans. There's the occasional. And um, we did what we could. We're good humanitarians. And so I came to understand that there was a gap here and that something wasn't right here and did what I could from a distance with my colleagues in the UK. Um, and, and really we became determined to try to set up something here that could do for Americans in an American way what we had managed to do successfully in the UK. So what is the process like once someone contacts you for your resources? And give us some examples of the kind of resources that you will avail them of. Yeah. So folks call our helpline. We have a 24-7 helpline they can call us any time of the night or day or they can email us through the website um, and as soon as they get in touch we put in place the cornerstone of our service which is each family or each hostage is allocated their own family support volunteer okay. so this is a dedicated individual that will walk alongside them every step of the way for as long as it takes. A dedicated volunteer. A dedicated volunteer. Trained or not trained? We have, um, over the years, developed our own training program for our volunteers. Um, this is difficult work, as you can imagine, and so we train them very frequently. We supervise them very carefully. So each, each family coming to us, each hostage coming to us, has their person. And the reason that this is so important is because... As I mentioned in my own experience, the loneliness is palpable. The sense of conf confusion and isolation is, is debilitating. And so everyone who comes to us is not a number, they're a person, and they have their contact point. And this is, our volunteer then builds a relationship with them. We always say to our volunteers, the first thing you do is build the relationship. You don't right. give the family a tick list of services and ask them, would they like a, B, and C, or A, C, and F. You build the relationship first, you get to know them, and from that, everything else stems. And trust, right? Because and there trust. might be a lack of trust given the circumstances they came out of, correct? That's absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's the family's job not to trust anyone. Right. Because they have got to make sure that everybody is doing everything they possibly can. And so it's their job not to trust the government. It's their job not to trust us. It's their job not to trust their loved one's employer. 
um, because they have got to push everybody as hard as they possibly can to do everything they possibly can. And so you're right, the trust issue is, is key and, and the cornerstone of our service is that relationship. Um, now that is incredibly important, but it's not enough. And um, the other kinds of things that we do for families all tailored to their need. There is no one size fits all here. Um, for example, we will attend government meetings with the family. Um, to do things like make sure they have a bottle of water with them, make sure they've thought about what questions they're going to ask, make sure that they have distinguished between what do you ask Chris Costa at the National uh, Security Council versus what you might ask the FBI agent assigned to your case. Different meetings, different right. purposes, different information. But very helpful, right? Very important and a necessary gap that has to be filled, correct? Correct. And, and you know, Josh talked about... Um, one of the imperatives for the review was to create a world in which families could be partners of government. Well, families need support and information and knowledge to be able to perform that partnership role. And so um, we perform that function and we make sure they're properly prepared for their meetings. We can take notes so that they don't have to take notes themselves or remember afterwards um, we make sure that they understand who they're meeting what kind of questions to ask them and debrief afterwards so there's there's a there's a important function that we perform which is that um, helping them to be advocates supporting them to to do their job properly through through the process um, the other suite of services that we offer is is really in the very practical domain um, weird and wonderful things happen back home right. while the drama is unfolding right. in Beirut or Syria or or Afghanistan and um, families need help you know this hostage may not be being paid while they're being held yep. and you a, a wife with three kids at home suddenly finds herself with a mortgage she can't pay um, or bank accounts she can't access because bad they may be in her now, right? bad credit. Right. So so we have, um, we're incredibly fortunate, we have um, a number of law firms and we have a firm of financial advisors who, when those kind of problems happen, can swoop in and solve stuff. And uh, to give you a sense of how significant that is, the pro bono, the dollar amount assigned to that pro bono support each year doubles our turnover. Wow. I mean, it is extraordinary the amount that these organizations give. Um, we also can make sure that they get access to really good counseling if that's what they need. And then, of course, um, when the hostage returns, banners, balloons, parties, yeah. celebrations, and then, as Josh said, the really hard work of coming back to life starts. And we are building a hospital network around the country so that those individuals returning from captivity can have a full medical checkup, can see physical therapists, can get really, really top quality counselling, can get whatever it is they need to rebuild their bodies, rebuild their minds. We connect them to other hostages who can share stories about coping. Um, and, you know, I think the other really important thing to say about how we help is that we are there for as long as it takes. And we just last week managed to solve an IRS-related problem for a hostage who has been free for two and a half years. Wow. And we keep going and we keep going and we keep going 
until those problems are solved because um, when folks come out of captivity unfortunately government agencies don't have an option in the drop down menu which is taxpayer was hostage right, right. shouldn't be fined um, or so we're here to help you with your credit you know exactly so uh, you know that was the first example and that's the example as simple as it was when when I first heard just a capability that you had a service that you offered just to help somebody with their credit we don't think through these things yeah it is the balloons and then there's the reality sets in right yeah. when when these folks come home yeah let me ask you a question if you can answer this how many folks are you handling right now ballpark yeah so we've we've just run the numbers actually we've supported on 50 cases so wow. far we've we've only been in existence for literally two years and um we we're very pleased that we've been there for those those 50 families and hostages and um but we know it's only the tip of the iceberg and um there are no reliable statistics but from the data sets we've pulled together we think there could be as many as 200 americans a year who were taken overseas and thankfully the the very small minority of those are the kind of cases we end up hearing about publicly which run into multiple years and are right. particularly difficult. Most of these are probably criminal versus counterterrorism, correct? Correct. But you don't make a distinction, you'll work any hostage case. We work with the terrorist cases, we work with the criminal cases, okay. and we also help the folks who are detained by um, states, states overseas, think Iran, think North Korea, think Venezuela. Um, you know, if it looks like a hostage and it smells like a hostage, we're involved. And, and Chris, it's worth emphasizing that cases that are new to the organization, to Hostage US, aren't necessarily new cases in the world. In other words, the, the trauma, the difficulties associated with this for hostages themselves, for their families, persist for many, many years. And some of some of the cases that are new to the organization, in fact, are individuals who have been back for a number of years or their families, but who have just become aware that an organization like this exists and who have some of the, the many varied types of needs that Rachel was articulating earlier, and they find their way to the organization now, and um, hopefully the organization is able to help. We'll be right back after this. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud, Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. So, Josh, obviously, I'll just swing to you for a second. So you're obviously passionate about this work. So what were some of your observations? You're obviously uh, connected to the organization now. You're invested. What were some of your observations? You know, I am truly honored to serve on, on the, the board of this, this great organization. And those of us who worked through the policy review in government knew that there were things that a returning hostage or a hostage's family would need and that the government wouldn't be good at or even shouldn't provide. 
But it wasn't till I was on this side, so to speak, that I had a sense of h how different those can be family to family. And the organization has helped some people with things like moving, which moving doesn't necessarily seem like it flows in the same way that overdue taxes or, or unpaid rent might flow from being absent in a sense, obviously uh, absent uh, not by choice for months or for years. But things like that loom very, very large as individuals try to get their, their, their life back on track. And part of being a hostage, as I've tried to understand it better and better, both in government and out, is the, the, the autonomy that's stripped from someone as they are detained against their will. And that doesn't just go away the minute that they hopefully are, are indeed freed and come back to their, their loved ones. So the effects of that and what it means for the tasks and challenges that life has in store, those are varied and they differ family to family in all sorts of ways that frankly I'm, I'm still learning. Yeah, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a perfect example of that actually, which is a former hostage um, who I know and have come to be friends with who tells the story about being released from captivity and um, being asked by her partner okay, we're going to go visit your dad in X state of the United States. Do you want to go via New York or do you want to take the, the flight via Philadelphia? And she says she quite literally locked herself in the bathroom, sat in the corner and wept uncontrollably because uh, even a choice as simple as Newark or Philadelphia was enough to send her off the edge of that cliff. Well, you don't think and about that, the psychology then of, of someone that didn't have choices to make, right? Choices were made for them, correct? And then, and it's wonderful to have choice, but um, suddenly confronted between pepperoni or four cheeses or whatever, yeah. whatever the, whether it's about dinner, what you're eating for dinner or which route you're taking to visit family, becomes completely overwhelming. And within that context, we will do things that don't look like a service, like help somebody move their car from the west coast to the east coast. We, know we, make a, we make a judgment about what is the care we can provide right now that will make the biggest impact on recovery. That's why we don't hand a list of services over. We look at the individual gotcha. as a human being and we think how can we help them move forward on that journey? And then we get creative. And, and we do whatever we can. So this seems to me so intuitive and so important and uh, so valid. You must have some challenges. What are those challenges? How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's, there's, different, there's different challenges. I mean, you know, one of the things that um, we have to be so careful with in this work is that we look after our people well. And like any organization that... Um, asks its staff and its volunteers to interact with trauma essentially uh, we have to make sure that we are looking after them that they get proper supervision that they have access to counseling should they need it so like any organization doing this sort of work um, that's always something that we we keep a very close eye on um, you know we're also a new nonprofit and um, you know we have the same challenges that all new nonprofits have you know we we need to grow. Um, we have um, thankfully found that people want to come and access our services and we've had a really big increase in demand. And, um, you know, we have the need to raise funds like 
right. uh, you know, this we get a lot of stuff done free, but um, there are still bills to pay, and we want to do more and do better for the people that we serve. And so, you know, like all nonprofits, we have that perennial challenge of of growth and revenue generation, and and so on. Um, and you know, I, I th- just to give you a couple of examples of of how we think in very concrete terms we need to to grow and expand um we remain concerned about uh the plight of detainees um who are not covered by um by the policy directive we've we've talked about and um we we do know that while the policy directive has has done tremendous amount to improve and streamline and systematize um the way in which hostages and hostage families can interact with the US government, the same cannot be said for detainees. And so there are there are folks slipping through the through the cracks. And um, you know, we would like to see some some change in, in that area and we're looking for partners to, to help us with that. And I think the other very concrete area of, of, of challenge and growth that we have is is around the health network. Right. Um, you know, we have um, a couple of hospitals already who have agreed to open their doors and give VIP service to um, hostages in their areas. And um, you're building that network, you said earlier, across the country? We would love, I mean, let's start by saying we would love a hospital in each region. Yeah. And before I'm done, we'll have a hospital in each state. You know, we want hostages to be able to come home and immediately get the care they need from professionals who understand how they needed to be treated differently to any other patient coming through the hospital doors so you know we've we've achieved a tremendous amount in the two years that we've been operational but we always want to do more we always want to do better and um you know we we push ourselves hard and we have a, a fantastic board that 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 really works with us to 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 achieve that reality so I, I could have asked you this earlier, but I'll ask it now, and, and that is, what's the difference between hostage UK and hostage US from a cultural standpoint? It must have been different, different challenges. Yeah, um, it has. It's, it's been really interesting, actually, trying to deliver the same service in two different countries. Right. Um, thankfully, I didn't quite have to learn a new language, but... Hmm. Um, I mean, essentially, this, the services are, are very, very similar. Um, I, I guess I would point to, to, to three or four things. Um, one is scale. This, this is the equivalent of running hostage Europe. I mean, this, this country is, is huge, and um, that, that presents challenges for us. And you have a slightly bigger government. <laughs> yeah, I would times, say so. Times 100. And so... Um, you know that so so that is that's tricky for us um the healthcare system here is very different um you, you know certainly for a foreigner trying to figure that out it's Never very difficult that. i think it's difficult for many americans too um so there's a different healthcare system we're working with which in some ways makes our jobs a lot easier in some ways a lot harder but but that's certainly different um i have found it challenging because i'm new to the country i arrived here and didn't know anybody and have had to kind of professionally speed date my way around Washington DC and pretty much the most of um, But the word is the getting country. out now, right? You've done a great job in DC. Is it getting out across the country? Are are you getting some 
opportunities to tell the story of hostage U.S.? More and more. And, you know, if anyone's listening to this and is somewhere else in the country and, and wants that story told locally, then I would I would love for them to get in touch. Um, I, I think the one thing that I, I would say, and, and um, you know, particularly with... Um, you know, current affairs right now in the US, I think it's really important to say this, is that um, I have been overwhelmed by the kindness of Americans. There is no way that we could have achieved the scale of what we've achieved and the pace of what we've achieved if I were doing this the other way around and moving from the US to the UK. I mean, every single room I go into, people say, what can I do? Um, this is an incredibly kind country, a very generous country, and um, I think it. I think it's important to to say that, given where right. we are right now, and, and um, it, it, you know our ability to do this is. I don't have a secret formula. It's it's a it's about trying to do this in a country where people always ask, "How can I help? What can I do? What can I give?" And and that has been the secret of our success. Well, that's certainly encouraging to hear, and and we know that, but it's always nice to hear it from someone who's been a guest. And, of course, you're not a guest anymore. You've been here two years, right? I mean, um, how, how much longer do you think you will stay in the United States doing this work? Is this uh, for the rest of your life, do you think? You Who knows how long you'll, you'll allow me to stay? I'm yeah. not quite sure. Um, but it, you know, this has been an am amazing. I mean, clearly, on a personal level, it's it's very, very important to me. It's been an amazing professional challenge, and I don't have any plans to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, so you know, as long as you'll allow me to stay. And I might add, as as those of us who were trying to figure out in government how to make all of this a bit better, um, surveyed. Uh, how this issue was handled, not just at home, but abroad. Um, we were very much aware of, of the incredible role that Hostage UK was playing in the UK. And as I mentioned earlier, we were quite aware that there were things outside the, the, the normal range of what government does well or even should do that needed to happen here. But I'm not sure any of us in our wildest dreams thought that Rachel herself would actually pick up leave Hostage UK in some excellent hands and come here and uh, form Hostage US. Um, but we in government and I think the, the families here and those of us now associated with the organization are very, very fortunate that, that she did so and that she built something that is already tr providing tremendous services and, and got up and running very, very quickly. Well, that takes a lot of courage to establish a business uh, takes a lot of courage, but to establish an organization, a nonprofit, in a, like you said, a very different business environment, a very different environment, another country. I think it's fascinating, and it takes courage, and it's audacious. And uh, you know, congratulations for getting it going. But we have to worry about the future. So, what I, what is your vision? You talked a little bit about scale. What do you mm -hmm. see as some of your major goals? Yeah. So. One of our, um, as I mentioned, one of our um, key goals right now is growth, um, both because we have an absolute need to grow because the demand is extraordinary. Um, and also, you know, I, I, my challenge now as the executive director is to, is to mature the organization. We're on the map and we're doing great work, but we have to grow some roots. We have to um, <clears throat> make sure that there are no single points of failure or weakness within the organization. You know, all of that good business continuity, succession planning, et cetera, 
um, to, to, to really mature the organisation uh, into um, what, it, what it needs to be. Um, there are certainly services that um, we partially have right now that we want to fully have. Um, there are areas of expertise we want to bring um, into the organisation. Um, and, and, you know, we're always... You ask the question about geography, and um, inevitably, at, at this early stage in our organization's life we are very east coast centric and so it to to be a we we manage to do what we do all around the country it doesn't affect the service but to to achieve our full potential you know we do need to grow the network around the country and it's a serious um question i ask your listeners you know if you're if you're out there elsewhere in this fine country and you think there is the potential that people are going to be interested in what we do, interested in volunteering, interested in donating, please get in touch. Um, and what's the best way to do that, Rachel? Through the website? Through the website. Maybe we can link the podcast to the website. And I would urge people, you know, take a look. Um, see what it is that we do. And um, for, for whatever reason, I, I find that folks manage to find a connection to our mission. And, you know, we've had extraordinary people who just found the website and have become some of our biggest donors or some of our strategic partners. Um, and so through the website, take a look um, and, and get in touch. Now, that's very helpful. And, and I'm sure there are folks out there listening that will want to help. Is there anything else we didn't talk about that you want to share? Or did we cover the bases? I would just emphasize for me how um, fulfilling it is, in a sense, to get to um, transition, m much as you have, Chris, from trying to be helpful uh, on these issues in, in government to, to really having an opportunity, an honor, to try to be helpful um, um, in supporting this, this, this organization, as, as you are working very hard to do as well, Chris. And, and I, on the last point about partners-to-be who may be listening, I have found that those who do find a way to, to get to work with, with Rachel, with uh, the organization more broadly, with a particular family in need of help, they find it really gratifying because um, these are people going through among the most horrific things one can even imagine. And to be a source of some support, to offer some guidance through that, uh, it's certainly um, a, a mission that, that people find really, really gratifying to get to be even a small part of. It's a mission, and it really seems to me, Rachel, that it's a calling, and you've answered that calling. So thank you very much. We all know that working the hostage policy was very personal compared to the other policy issues that we worked. Yes. It was very yes. personal mm -hmm. because this is connected to families, mm -hmm. and we know those families, and you continue to work on those very important issues. So, th so thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for joining us today, both Josh and Rachel. It's, uh, it's been fun to have this conversation. Thank you very much. And thank, thank you for hosting us. Thank you for listening to SpyCast. Remember, every Tuesday we will post a new podcast available from both spymuseum.org and iTunes. If you have any questions or comments about SpyCast, email us at spycast at spymuseum.org or leave a comment or review on our iTunes page. You can also follow us on Twitter at INTLSpyCast. That's INTLSpyCast. Talk to you next week.
Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. 